Hello and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. First off, for those of you who were concerned with the ending of last week's podcast, I did in fact get my car back from the folks at Lux, uh, though it took them way longer than the promised 15 minutes. Still, it was an interesting experience all around, and I've been thinking more and more about the whole concept of the on-demand economy and what it means. Lots of people seem focused on sort of the first layer analysis of things like Uber. And they'll say things like, oh, if Uber was really everywhere, it could replace direct car ownership as people could just hail rides everywhere instead. Even the second level of analysis on that is generally very, very simplified. Something along the lines of, oh, if people don't need to own cars, then there's less need for garages or parking lots. But that's fairly simplistic thinking. Historically, true disruptions really don't work that way at all. The idea that the new thing just replaces the old is almost never how it works. If it was, it wouldn't really be disruptive. Things that really change things are almost always very, very different than what most people expect. They appear to come out of nowhere when it's really the result of a huge host of variables that most people haven't considered, and a variety of incremental changes over time. Someone who has actually thought deeply about all of this and thinks that the more simplistic analysis misses that point is Ezra Goldman, the founder of Upshift and someone who has thought more about transportation and mobility than probably anyone listening to this. He recently wrote a fascinating manifesto on the future of mobility, which we'll link to on TechDirt, and I'm sure you can find it via Google if you don't happen to be reading it on TechDirt, in which he lays out just some of this thinking. It discusses an entirely different framework for even thinking about personal mobility, from differentiating near-car situations from far-car situations, and outlining the different transportation possibilities in those different cases. He envisions a very different world that can develop when the thinking goes along these lines, including changing the way that we design cities and roads. It's a fascinating read, but rather than just have me try to summarize it, we've invited Ezra here to join us, along with co-host Dennis Yang, to discuss his views of the future of mobility. So welcome to the podcast, Ezra. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start out by tossing you the softball question that everyone seems to ask, which is, won't Uber just take over the world and then no one will ever need their own cars again, unless, of course, they happen to drive for Uber? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> that is kind of the, the question of the day. Um, well, so the first, uh, the first point I should make is the, the caveat that most of the things I'm about to say uh, are primarily oriented towards uh, dense cities uh, for, the near, for the foreseeable future. So these are still places like uh, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, et cetera. Uh, and uh, there's still many parts of the country that are, are quite far away from car replacement, whether Uber or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- so, so the first thing is, you know, dense urban uh, uh, transportation-oriented development is kind of the, the building block for any of the, the things I'm going to say uh, moving forward and, and any of the things I, I think you hear on the news uh, as well, um, including uh, the extent to which uh, Uber is kind of taking over the world. Uh, with that caveat in mind, uh, I would say that, uh, yes, Uber is clearly taking off. It's clearly getting a lot of traction. 
um, will will Uber replace car ownership? I think is really a different question. Uh, there is uh, limited to no uh, data available uh, that I have seen uh, that suggests that uh, Uber is replacing cars directly. Um, we do see uh, there was a UC Berkeley study that I'm aware of that came out last year uh, where they showed that most of those trips uh, are replacing taxi and transit. Uh, I believe something on the order of 72% of those trips are, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, are replacing taxi and transit trips. Uh, and uh, there's only about 6% of those trips that are replacing uh, driving trips. And these are individual trips. So this is like, uh, you know, I would have driven to the bar on Friday night, but I'm going to have a few drinks. So I'm going to leave my car at home and uh, uh, take an Uber instead. Um, now, that is uh, uh, a far cry away from saying that people are replacing their cars for that, because that's only an individual trip. That's not a pure replacement of a car. Uh, now, there is 15 years of data to show that car sharing, such as Zipcar, uh, does in fact replace nine to 13 cars uh, for every car that's placed on the street. Hmm. Uh, this is, uh, again, UC Berkeley studies uh, from a few years ago. Um, and from my own uh, experience of interviewing people, what I found again and again is that uh, most people uh, who own a car in the city, they're owning it primarily to get out of the city because they have lots of options. They had, a, they had taxis and they had buses and they could ride a bicycle or walk uh, in the city before. Uh, but what they still hold on to a car for is for the things that cars are good at, which is carrying a lot of people, carrying a lot of stuff, and going longer distances. And Uber doesn't, for the foreseeable future, uh, solve any of those problems. And, but I could see, just to push back a little bit on that, right? I mean, I could see that, you know, in the short term, you know, Uber's only been around for a little while, and people are still sort of getting used to it. And so... If it were to replace cars, I don't know that you would see that in the data already, right? But conceivably, you can make the argument that as people get used to, um, you know, car hailing services like that, that the next time, you know, it comes around to the time when they need to, you know, determine do I buy a new car or not, that they might, the equation has changed, Right. Is that is that possible? Do you think that there might be a lag that it could show up later in Perhaps, the Perhaps, but I, I, I think this is really um, the extent to which you'll see replacement from Uber, I think, is going to be comparable to what you might see with a, a good transit network and you know right. good biking infrastructure. I mean, even but, if Uber is everywhere and it's ubiquitous, it's super cheap, it's still, uh, you know, until they can also, until they can solve for 100% of the use cases in and of themselves, Uber is not going to replace a car. And this is kind of similar to what we saw with electric vehicles where everybody said, oh, well, you know, 80% of the time people are only going three miles, so we'll just create a car that only right. goes 40 miles or 80 miles, right. and everybody's going to, you know, give up their gas guzzlers. Well, you know, Leafs haven't exactly sold more than a few hundred thousand units. So this is not, uh, you know, until you can solve for, you know, every use case with your system, uh, you're not going but, to but replace you could, the cars. you could also see a situation in which... Um, you know, maybe it doesn't, it's not going to replace cars entirely, but it, it could, you know, if you have a family that would normally say have two cars, right? You could see them potentially going to one where they'd still have the car for the situations where they need the car, but they don't necessarily need a second because they can always get by with, with kind of an Uber situation. Sure. Well, this has been happening with Zipcar for mm -hmm. many, many years. I mean, Zipcar replaces uh, the second car, whether it is uh, actually your first and only car because your first car is actually a bicycle or a bus or a train. Uh, your second car is effectively the thing that you need once in a while to do that edge case that I said of, you know, shopping or longer trips. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think that the, the argument is a little bit, 
you know, it's it's what's really going to end up happening, and even what is happening today is Uber doesn't exist in a vacuum, Mm -hmm. and I think that there's a bit of a mistake that. You know, we're we're coming from this kind of silver bullet solution where you know we have this hammer, which is a car, and everything we look at is a nail, which is a trip type of various kinds, mm. and we're used to solving every problem with one solution. And so then this new thing comes along, and it's super cool, and it's you know hit a button and get transportation when you need it, and we think, aha, this is going to be the thing that solves the problem of mobility. And I think that's really a bit of a, a, a false way of looking at it. I think that the the more correct way of looking at it is to say. Look, there's uh, going to be a mixed, uh, a multimodal integrated network of solutions. One of those solutions being Uber, and Uber is going to be really, really great for certain things. And then there's going to be all these other things that also work. I mean, walking is a mode of transportation that's not going away anytime soon. Right. Uh, and walking is still going to be a better solution for certain trips than Uber, no matter how awesome Uber is. Right. You know, less than a half a mile, it's probably still a better idea to just walk out the door, right? So there are going to be certain kinds of trips where uh, there are going to be better solutions, and the the car replacement, the car killer, so to speak, is um, what uh, my colleague at uh, University of Michigan, Susan Zelinsky, would say is the silver buckshot solution, hmm. which is you know essentially saying we're, it's not a silver bullet that we're looking for. There's not right. a one thing out there in Uber or any other solution. What we're looking for is really a whole bunch of different things that are going to each be really, really optimized for a certain kind of trip that will then hook all together. And it may look and feel like one thing on the user experience side. Mm-hmm. Just like when you open up your app, you know, there might be you know, 50 different things on the back end. They're all hooked together that make it look like it's just one thing to the user. Right. But on the back end, there's actually a whole bunch of different things going on. And, and I think that that may happen, but you know, and we, it may be called Uber in the end if they end up being sort of the single aggregator. It might be Google. It might be anybody. Um, but uh, it's going to end up being a whole bunch of different systems that are networked together. Yeah, and I think that was actually you know one of the points I thought was most interesting in, in the in the um, manifesto that you know you you put on LinkedIn, um, and you know it really got me thinking even you know just this idea that we always think in terms of cars just because that's what we're used to right, but but you break it down to this sort of you know near car and far car kind of breakdown and point out. Uh, you know what I what I thought was really interesting was the the way you consider when you're just trying to travel you know a short distance. Oftentimes there are other uh, modes of transportation that are currently better, and certainly you know continue you know, new developments that will continue to be better forms of transportation for that. So obviously walking, as we said, but also biking and scooters, electric scooters, you know, sort of the, the you know, small autonomous vehicles that are starting to, you know, get close to hitting the market, um, things like that, that could really help get people around and sort of, you know, uh, especially in dense urban areas where a full car doesn't necessarily make sense. Right. I mean, in terms of, of you know, you spoke to the fact that like New York, and other urban areas have different types of solutions. I mean, isn't doesn't it more feels like? I mean, I've been in San Francisco for a while now, and it feels like San Francisco is not necessarily evolving because of Uber, but because it's becoming more dense as a city, right? And how much of this is the, of this shift is actually driven by like a technology per se, or is it really just this is the next stage of what a city looks like when it grows up to be a little bit more dense or a little bit larger, right? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, so first of all, I, I just want to credit uh, Dan Sturgis with uh, the near car, far car concept. Uh, just put put a little credit out there. He's another uh, transportation visionary who designed the NEV. 
Um, d definitely check out his work. Um, but uh, if you, and I could I'd be happy to talk about kind of the distinction between those two and, and go right. into more detail there. But to answer your question, um, yes, I, as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, I really think the the density is is a really critical factor to all of this working. Now, obviously, density in and of itself doesn't inherently create innovation. Uh, but if you look at, you just look at any data that's been leaked about Uber, you look at Zipcar's penetration, you look at pretty much any transportation mm -hmm. service, uh, you know, pull up, uh, you know, some small town in, in Iowa, maybe they have Uber, but there's going to be like three cars on there if they even have it. Uh, but, you know, if you pull up any sort of, uh, you know, significant large city right. uh, in America, you'll you'll definitely see a lot more penetration. But But Uber could actually be a better solution for communities are that are less dense because I, I was actually talking to Mike yesterday about you know he lives out in the peninsula and it's actually really he didn't even think about using an uber right um, and my parents who live out of the city are using uber more and more now because it's actually more efficient than you know calling a cab or like public transportation is non-existent when you're out of a city mm -hmm. um, so so I do wonder if like uber as a technology is providing more like the urban type solutions for suburban areas even right? yeah I mean I, I think to the extent that it's profitable people will get on the platform and they'll and yeah. they'll do it uh, and so then it's just a question of how long do you have to wait for that ride and how many drivers are there and what kind of surge pricing is there uh, but certainly you will um, see it in lower uh, density areas um, but if you look at uh, you know realistically where uber is getting 90 percent of right. their usage I mean it's places like the mission and marina mm -hmm. and and uh, you know r literally like a handful of neighborhoods and a handful of cities is probably more than half of their revenue and, and everything else is essentially long tail for them and and that goes even in other countries as well I would assume interesting so uh, um, I, I do want to kind of drill down on that the near car far car mm -hmm. concept because I think it, it was you know, I hadn't really thought about it that way before. You know, I sort of implicitly yeah. maybe, but you know, not not explicitly. And um, and I think it would be good to kind of drill down. You know, what is that, and and what is the real difference there, and and in terms of how that impacts how we think about sort of the future of mobility. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think this is a really really critical piece to understanding how the future of mobility is going to shake out, or at least how I think it will, and and many others. Uh, you know, if you just kind of break it into near car, far car, I mean, far car is, there's two, there's also two pieces of this, right? There, one is the physical vehicle design, right? What is the actual thing that I get into to go mm -hmm. somewhere? The second is, what is the business model that underlies that? And then sort of related to those two things, how does the technology work uh, mm -hmm. in order to actually facilitate all that? And everything that we're seeing right now is still very, very, very much in prototype stage, you know? So even Uber today, uh, anything that is even kind of like a leaked version of whatever uh, Google is planning this summer in Mountain View, uh, with this little micro cars, I mean, all of this stuff is very, very, very early, very nascent. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's essentially uh, similar to kind of peeking in the, the garage doors of uh, car builders in the, you know, late <laughs> 1800s. I mean, that's essentially where we're at right now, you know? And I think right. that there's a bit of a, uh, Maybe some people perceive like, well, you know, transportation was this cool thing for a few years, and now we're kind of on to the next hot thing. And it's like, no, 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 this is going to be decades. It's going to be huge, and it's going to disrupt everything fundamentally. Um, so that's the first thing to bear in mind. And if you if you think about, it can dissect it into sort of business model versus uh, and kind of uh, regulations on the one side and, and uh, vehicle design on, on the other. So I can start with vehicle design since that's the sort of grossest layer. Um, so near car, I would say, is really uh, going to be things like what Dan was building with uh, with the gem, uh, 
uh, but it's uh, you know broader than that. I mean, and in, in his earliest vision for that, I mean, it's really you know what Google is now executing on, which is uh, sort of a, a micro car that uh, or a car. I shouldn't even. I don't even want to call them cars anymore. I think we should just call them vehicles. We should get away from right. words like transit car. I mean, <laughs> these are just they 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 really are, are are have too much meaning attached to them. Uh, so if you take these this microelectric vehicle that uh, that Google is building right now. Um, you know, essentially, that's something that can only go 25 miles an hour, has no steering wheel. It's very, very revolutionary. None of the car manufacturers want to touch anything like that. They're just, you know, yeah, that's cool. You can do that. It's a niche thing over there, but we're not really going there. But it's low speed. It has, you know, none of the trappings of a, of a vehicle, um, and, and it's electric, and it goes short distances. You know, it goes right. things that Uber does right now, which is, you know, one, two, three-mile trips. Um, so just over the walking kind of... Exactly. You know, if you look at like a typical taxi trip, it's about two and a half miles. And I assume that's pretty similar for for Uber. Uh, In fact, most of those trips are somewhere between half mile and three miles, uh, which incidentally is the same distance uh, of a bicycle trip, which is why I personally almost never use Uber. In fact, I just don't even, yeah, I think I used it twice last year. I mean, it just hasn't disrupted my life at all, and I don't own a car. So, And I think for most most city cyclists, like, they'll find, like, I ride my bike primarily around town unless I'm with other people, Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a big use case for either Uber or taxi. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. I used to live in Copenhagen, and everyone there had a bicycle, and so it was actually the opposite, that if you didn't have a bicycle, you were the kind of lame (laughs) guy who had to take a taxi or a bus because where's your bike? Exactly. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot of social factors uh, as well. Um, So, you know, in terms of, of, you know, the near car solutions, there's a whole, you know, range of different things that can fit that description. You know, one is this sort of radical... Uh, revolutionary, um, you know, Google vehicle integrated with some sort of Uber-like ride-sharing service, right? And that, mm-hmm. that solves some problems. Uh, and then there's, uh, you know, there's things like Zipcar that are working right now that are, I would call, still kind of a near car. They're kind of a mid-car, I guess. They're, you know, trips of a few hours where you might have to haul a little bit of stuff. Right. Um, but, you know, you've got a bicycle. I mean, I ride my bike all the time. It's a fantastic mode of transportation. It's been around for 100 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of things we need to do to innovate on that, including a lot of infrastructure that we need, which is much cheaper than building technology companies. Uh, and we should invest a lot more in that in bike, bike lanes, among other things. Um, but there's also cool startups like Faraday uh, that are, yep. uh, you know, trying to build, uh, you know, kind of new mobility solutions that are electric uh, uh, bicycles. There's uh, companies like Lit Motors uh, that are doing these kind of really crazy gyroscopically balanced two-wheeled uh, jelly bean vehicles. Yeah, the, uh, the boosted boards are good. I think there's a lot of kind of this range that are enabled by electronic technology. Yeah, it's, so. it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting because, I, you know, I remember, you know, I guess about 15 years ago now when the Segway was first announced, right? Yeah. And there was all <laughs> this hype about it. And, you know, and one of the quotes that was mentioned, I forget who, who was, said it. Bezos, it I think I? it was yeah. Jeff Bezos. His yeah. quote was basically, they'll re-architect cities around this invention. Around Ginger. Ginger was right, the code name uh, yeah. for, for the Segway. And of course, that didn't happen because it doesn't look cool. Well, that's part of it. There, were, but there were a few reasons. But, oh, yeah. but reasons. you know, one one of the <laughs> the the arguments beyond the fact that it looked incredibly dorky, you know, could be the fact that you know was the Segway just twenty years too early, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're talking about all these other things, and you're like, well, those were the same arguments that people were making about the Segway. It was just fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would kind of wonder if. You know, maybe could could have just been ahead of its time, um, 
and and dorky. Maybe, but yeah, and dorky. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. And there's a, there's a few points there. I mean, um, you know, also a shout out to Scoot. Uh, it's also doing electric, shared mm-hmm. shared uh, electric scooters, and there's bike share. You know, so there's a whole bunch of different things that yeah. uh, that kind of fill in this near car solution. And I, and I think each one is really optimized for a different kind of trip. Like you said, yep. if you're if you're, you know, your friends could also get a bike share, for example, if you have mm-hmm. a few friends. Exactly. So there's a there's a few different ways to solve that, um, and uh, um, and and Cardigo is another one. Cardigo is yeah, another I one I would I would bill as a near car solution. Yeah. I mean, you could take it a longer distance, but it's it's not really optimized for that. Yeah. Um, do know. do people know what uh, do you want to just give? Yeah, a, I mean, Car- quick Cardigo is one of my favorite kind of you know transportation solutions that I think they in the states they launched in Austin first. So when mm-hmm. I was there for a while. That was my primary mode of transportation, along with my bicycle. And basically, it's 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 essentially point-to-point car rental um, for one trip. So you you use your RFID card and you log into your car and you drive to wherever you're going and you log back out of your car. And in Austin, you could just park it on the street anywhere that was legal, and that was it. You were done. And they had a they had an app that directed you to the nearest car to go. And right. So to some extent, is it's like. Zipcar, but whereas right. Zipcar, you had to have you have to reserve it, reserve and like it, and there were specific yeah. parking lots that mm-hmm. you know you had yep. to bring it back to. You pick it up from, you bring it back to. Whereas Cardigo, yep. you could just walk down the street, see see one of the cars that were sitting there, and basically take it, right? Go wherever you want and leave it. It's, it felt amazing. Like I I would basically hop in a Cardigo, drive to the grocery store, do my shopping, and it'd only be like half an hour later, and my my the car that I took disappeared. Right, so in that half an hour window that I was doing my shopping, someone else came and took the car, which is amazing from a utilization standpoint. And then, you know, it was just kind of fascinating. You open up the app again, you find another car, and you drive again. And so I think it's it was a fascinating thing. And I think that they've launched now in a bunch of other U.S. cities like San Diego and they, Seattle. Yeah, they, and, they now have a million members yeah. uh, uh, around the world, and they're in some thirty odd cities at this point. Uh, yeah, so they're yeah. I mean, it's uh, it, it's kind of like a, a, a DIY Uber of sorts, you know, where mm-hmm. yep. you're not, there's no driver involved. You're just getting There's no in. monthly fee, which I love because mm-hmm. I'm going to Austin this weekend and that's how I'm going to get from the airport to where I'm going. So Right. And um, you, and you could see where like, you know, the, the, whatever Google vehicle thing yeah. could, could be a kind of solution like that, mm-hmm. right? Where you could right. deploy you hop into the yeah. car, you log in, log yeah. out. Mm-hmm. So. And, and I think it's, you know, it's useful to think about these from a trip type perspective, right? And right. I, I think that there's, that helps to kind of clarify these things, right? You've got um, these kind of shorter, and it comes down to like, you've got like your commute trip is mm-hmm. one real clear thing. It's like you're mm-hmm. going the exact same place every single day, twice a day. You know, it's, that's one kind of thing. And you've got services like Chariot and Leap yep. um, via Bridge, a whole bunch of services that are trying to kind of do yeah. that better. Um, and then you've got these kind of shorter one-off trips, you know, and that's kind of like a couple mile trip within the city mm-hmm. and you've got a bunch of different services that are trying to crack that nut. You've got drive now, car to go, uh, scoot networks, bike share, Uber. Yeah. Um, and don't, know, don't forget good old Muni. You good old, there's good old Muni. Right, right. Good public old transportation Muni. still, yeah. still exists. Still, yeah, public still transit exists. is still, you know, trying to solve the commute and taxis yeah. are still trying to solve the one-off use case. Yep. Um, you know, and then you have uh, Zipcar, I think is kind of in this uh, weird middle space right now, which I think is a little problematic for them, where they're kind of getting encroached on by uh, on a couple sides on the shorter trips by Uber, yep. uh, Scoot, and other services, and on the longer trips they're getting encro- you know, and on the the grocery runs they're getting encroached yep. on by uh, by Instacart, uh, TaskRabbit, other yep, things that can just go get your groceries for you and you know pick up your IKEA stuff, and so they're kind of getting squeezed. Um, 
you know, and I, I think that the, the space that I see the, the opportunity and, and, you know, why I'm starting Upshift is really kind of the longer trips is when I, <clears throat> when I was talking to people and saying, you know, what is the problem that you need to solve that you still have a car mm -hmm. for? It's really the, the far car trip, you know, it's mm -hmm. the, the, the longer trip that, uh, you know, is, is kind of what cars are good for. This what, you know, that's what cars were built for. They're designed to take a lot of people with a lot of stuff really far. And the existing solutions are all designed around taking, you know, a few, few people with not so much stuff very short. And right. that is most of what the trips are. But there are still those trips where you need those longer duration trips. And, and right now they're not adequately being solved by the existing solutions. And, you know, to, to talk about the, the far car uh, from a vehicle design perspective, you know, I think everybody's kind of really focused on the, the kind of really revolutionary uh, Google kind of stuff. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, evolutionary stuff that is still going to have significant impact on the far car. And the far car is still going to need to be there. We still need something with four wheels that mm -hmm. can take you to Tahoe with your skis. Uh, and it's probably not going to be a little, you know, robo uh, nev <laughs> that Google is making. Um, you know, there, there's still going to have to be some sort of, you know, SUV and sedan and some other things that uh, essentially solve what they were, you know, that's what they were designed for. And you should have right. access to whichever one of those things is perfect for whatever that trip is. And it should all be integrated <laughs> on your smartphone. And it should all be on demand at the push of a button. And, you know, I think that's the, sort of the, the future that we're headed towards. Um, and the far car looks less, you know, cool and sexy and, and uh, radical, but it's actually kind of the linchpin in making all the other stuff work. Because right. if you don't, if you don't actually solve for that trip type, then people still have their car. They've dumped all this right. sunk cost into this asset that they have just in case for that, you know, once in a while trip that they need to make. And now they're much less likely to take the Uber, less likely to take a scoot or a bike share or Zipcar, any other service, right. just because they still have this sunk asset that they need once in a while for this longer trip. But if you can get them to, you know, use a far car solution uh, and in, it finally have access to 100% of their use cases through this system, now they can start saying, oh, well, let me check out this new service and that new service and let me see which one works for me right. and figure out how to stick them all together into a sort of car replacement package that works. Right. But, but until they've given yeah. up the car entirely, they, they still have, you know, $9,000 a year in, in sunk costs, which are you know, just make it much less appealing to do anything. Right. I mean, is it, a, is it a psychological problem, though? I think people don't make that calculation when they buy a car and have it sit in their garage and pay for the garage and do all that, And as opposed to if you think about, ooh, every time I go to Tahoe, I have to think about renting a car, like that you add that to the, the price of the trip, mm -hmm. whereas if you own a car, it's kind of what, like it's a sunk cost, so you don't think about it. Right? So is there is there like a psychological barrier to kind of integrating this whole thing? Absolutely. Or, or like can you guys wrap it into a, mobility like a mobility solution from uber where i don't know i don't know how that would absolutely. work absolutely no i i completely agree yeah. i mean i i've spent the last few years trying to figure out the the right <laughs> business model for the new yeah. mobility economy and you know ultimately the ideal solution would be i pay a few hundred bucks a month i get access to all of these different services they're all hooked together through one integrator whether yeah. it's google or uber or you know upshift or whoever and you know, I just have one place to go. I need to go to place X and the service says, you know, this is the thing for you. And I'm paid a few hundred dollars a month and I just, you know, get my, get Can, my mobility. Is, right. is somebody going to offer unlimited? Like, yeah. yeah. The so subscription I've, pricing. I've been working on that for a long time. <laughs> I, I think it's very hard as an operator to 
toy with the idea of unlimited because as soon as you say unlimited, somebody will actually have, do you unlimited. Have a, <laughs> and then you, an adverse selection right. uh, yeah, because, problem. I mean, how do you, how do you prevent the guy from the, saying, well, I'm going to commute to work every day? The and, cell phone you know. companies have done a very good job of defining unlimited as limited. Yeah, but that, but that then leads to pushback and serious sure, but problems. they still right? have it. Th- right? Those are also bits, not atoms. Sure. And, and the <laughs> nice thing about uh, bits, I mean, there are certain, you know, you get to a, a popular soccer game or something and, you, yeah. you know, you do have calls drop and stuff, but it's a different thing when you've, you've said, okay, you're going to pay, you know, $250, $400 sure. a month, whatever the, the number is you come up with, and your service X is not available, sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. People get very, very mad at that point. Yeah. So you have to have 100% reliability in that or, system. Or maybe you just set the expectations, right? I mean, I, th- I don't think you've... Have you, um, one of my friends is doing Surfair right now, mm-hmm. which is... You know, technically, they they call it unlimited flights within California from certain airports. They do have limitations, um, and there are it's limitations. also a very there's, there's plenty of limitations. Yes, like you can only reserve two flights at a time. Yep. If you miss a flight, they ground you for three yep. weeks. You know, like yep. so. Basically, what I'm saying is that it's it they they bill it as unlimited. And yep. It feels unlimited. But yep. there are rules, and, I, and you can and you I can make you can it unlimited that. if there yeah. are limitations in the way you design the system. So, <laughs> oh, like for example, let's say uh, I had an unlimited car to go kind of a model, yeah. uh, but all the cars are electric and they're micro cars, right? So right. I know you're not going to drive it, you know, 300 miles That's over far, the weekend. Right. right. Uh, you know, if I have an unlimited bike share program, um, you know, you're probably not going to just ride it indefinitely, right? So there, yeah, there, you're, you're limited by time, right? And exactly. Exactly. So, so I think that maybe maybe to call it unlimited feels more like a marketing thing mm-hmm. rather than sure. like a philosophical. Yeah, but it, it is interesting because you know if you if you could set that up, and I'm yeah. I'm not convinced that you could, but but then you can yeah. right you can stop thinking about it, and you can also yeah. make the comparison to car ownership mm-hmm. much more clear. Right, that's yep. the problem right now. So yeah. you know, and and this is to some extent right. I mean, this is why Netflix was fairly successful yeah. also because they basically mm-hmm. did you know effectively an unlimited deal. What they so called their mailer program unlimited but right. you could technically only physically get a, you know a certain number of DVDs every month mm-hmm. but they called right. it unlimited but because mm-hmm. you know what what they were doing was they removed the sort of mental transaction cost as yeah. opposed to the the actual mm-hmm. transaction cost of each exchange right. when when they made it a sort of subscription process then you didn't even have to think about it and you didn't have to say is this worth X amount yep. to take that next step, yep. um, and that, so that makes it really interesting. But but definitely represents some some real challenges. Yeah, at least I, I definitely thought about it quite a bit, and and at least for our particular business model, it's challenging because you're trying to be so unlimited in terms of your range that you're right. making available to people. Right. So if we were doing some sort of near car solution, I could see it working where you say, well, you know, there's only so many. Um, yeah. trips of this kind you could make but you know if you're saying it's a Prius for a day I mean you could take it to work you could take it to <laughs> do I mean it would, that's what we do with a car yeah. right now it's just right. a car and if I say it's an unlimited amount of car access right. there has to be something on mileage or were, time or something that, that yeah. limits you and then you're kind of back to where you started unlimited Uber would undoubtedly end up with someone just taking an Uber to New York right? oh sure yeah exactly and, and there exactly. would be all sorts of yeah I mean yeah. It, so it, it is right it's the basic you know adverse selection problem and mm-hmm. you know it's a standard sort of economic challenge in terms of how do you deal with that right um but but, but i do think that that, that that this is where we need to we need a lot of smart people uh people smarter than myself who can figure out how <laughs> to create an unlimited service where you know essentially you can do some sort of right you know pay x per month get all the all you can eat mobility on demand and you're hooking all these things together and 
you know, I, I think we're, personally, I don't think we have all the pieces yet. I don't think we have the technology built yet. I don't think yeah. we have all the business models yet. I don't think we have all the, the vehicles yet uh, to really make that work in enough places. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that that's kind of, and that's why I'm focused on building the piece that I think is kind of the, the missing link that needs to be built first um, to, to really be able to start to put that together. Right. Uh, it's kind of like saying, you know, we have this really awesome puzzle and you're like, yeah, we should totally put that puzzle together. And then you like, it's a thousand piece puzzle and you shake out the box and there's like 460 pieces and you're like, oh, this is not going to be a really cool <laughs> puzzle to put together. You know, and so I, I actually started working on a multimodal trip planner app back uh-huh. in 2011 and very quickly came to realize that we don't have enough of the pieces in the box to, to put together the, the picture on the front cover, right? Yeah. And so then I was like, okay, well, what's the, the biggest chunk of this that, that really needs to go to kind of get people in the, the mindset of, oh, hey, multimodal is this new thing. Right. And then once we have all the pieces and we've developed all the technology, we can, we can start hooking them together. Great. Um, so one last thing that I wanted to, that was in the, the piece that you wrote up that I wanted to, to just dive into real quick and then we'll, we'll sort of finish up uh, today, was that you, you do discuss um, kind of rethinking how you could architect some city infrastructure and kind of road infrastructure uh, in a world where you do focus more on sort of the near car trips and the idea of you know having more bike lanes but you go beyond that, right? So bike lanes is something that people talk about all the time, but you also talk about, well, having, you know, sort of another lane for slower, small electric cars and, and things like that. So do you want to just sort of yeah, discuss sure. that a little bit? Because I thought that was really interesting and, and kind of a different concept that I haven't really heard anyone else talk about. Sure, yeah. I, I mean, if you look at the price of real estate in San Francisco, I mean, I don't know what the dollar is per square foot, but it's very, very high. Um, but if you look at the price of on-street parking in San Francisco, it's something like 100 bucks a year. It's about you know six bucks a month for on-street mm-hmm. parking. I mean, it's just complete nonsense when you compare that to three thousand dollars a month for a one-bedroom. Right. right above that parking space, <laughs> you're like, well, okay, well, I'll pitch my tent there and I'll pay six bucks a month. Like, uh, you know, why not? It's the size of a car, right? So, uh, so there's kind of this in disconnect, I think, in the in the price of of that real estate and that land value. And if you look at uh, not necessarily, I don't know what the uh, exact percentage is in San Francisco, but mm-hmm. certainly some cities in America have upwards of 60% of their total acreage of the city is just dedicated to parking and cars, which right. is madness. And if you look at uh, San Francisco, there's 280,000 parking spaces on street. I'm not even talking about garages wow. or, or private garages or anything, but just on street parking. And that's an area the size of Golden Gate Park. Now, if I were to get up and say, hey, guys, let's uh, solve the parking problem. We're going to pave over Golden Gate Park, <laughs> and we're just going to put a huge parking lot there. You know, p- people would, would shoot me tomorrow, you know. But uh, if you did the exact opposite and you said, well, we've got all, you know, we've got a Golden Gate Park worth of public land that is the park of the 21st century. Hey, let's unpave it all and turn it into the Golden Gate Park of the 21st century. I'd also get shot, <laughs> and politicians get people don't like change. They don't. They, well, they they particularly don't like you taking their parking away because yeah. parking yeah. is this really really touchy thing. And you asked earlier about uh, what is kind of the one big driver. You know, why didn't Segway take off 15 years ago, and why is it why yeah. is all this stuff happening now? I really think that a lot of this stuff is solving parking problems, which is again why I said this is you know more for dense uh, urban yeah. areas, and. You know, if it's solving a mobility problem, then you'd say, well, how come Uber isn't taking off in, you know, small cities in, in the middle of the country? 
uh, it's because parking, they've got three parking spaces for every car. You don't need to have, there's no problem that's being solved there. Yeah. Uh, whereas uh, in a city like San Francisco, where it's you know, hundreds of dollars a month for a parking space and parking is always very difficult, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're as much as anything, you're solving a parking problem by taking an Uber as you are solving a mobility problem. Uh, and if you look at that, that street parking, you say, wow, you know, just next time you walk down the block, look at all the cars parked there and say, if we didn't have all these cars here, what could this be? And your mind can go pretty wild. You say, well, there could be bike lanes. This could be a dedicated express bus lane. This could be a wider sidewalk that we put cafes on. We put in these parklets that are coming in now. Yeah. Uh, it could be a whole host of things. And one of the things that I mentioned in the article as well is that if we actually start optimizing all of these different vehicle t uh, vehicles and business models and technology so that each trip is really optimized for the kind of trip that you're making, then the vehicles can get smaller uh, because you don't need to have this one-size-fits-all vehicle that does everything. You have a whole bunch of different vehicles, each one perfectly designed for what it does best. And that means you don't need lanes that are you know, 12 feet wide or whatever the standard uh, width is. And you can now carve up that same street into a lot more lanes with a lot less actual space and get rid of all the parking while providing everybody pure mobility on demand. They get exactly where they're going. I mean, I always park my bike right in front of wherever I'm going. I never have to circle the block and I just step off my bike and I'm right there and I pay nothing. I mean, what yeah. I, I beat an Uber most of the time. I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no traffic. There, my cost is zero. Uh, you know, as a guy yeah. uh, was coming out of the on-demand conference the other day and there were people waiting like 15 plus minutes for their for their Lux and their Zerks to come back. And this guy was opening up his app and he's like, I'm going to take an Uber from North Beach to Caltrain. And it looks at it and it's going to be 24 minutes and 2.4x search pricing. And I'm like, you know, unlocking my bike, which is parked right in front of the door. <laughs> and I look at the app, I look at my Google Maps and I'm like, oh, it'll take me 19 minutes. It'll take you 24 with traffic and it'll cost me zero and I'll get some exercise and you're going to pay like 50 bucks. I was like... Awesome. <laughs> so, you know, I think that there's a lot of things that we can do if we make it actually, you know, safe to do those kinds of, you know, right, right now bicycling is just a dangerous proposition in San yeah. Francisco. But if you're in a place like Copenhagen where you've got, you know, physical dedicated bikeways that are not the lanes that we have here in the city, but mm -hmm. are essentially like a sidewalk. I mean, it's like a totally separate right. sidewalk just for bikes. Um, you know, you don't have the worry of being doored. You don't have the worry of people you know, running into your lane. I mean, it's, it's a totally different proposition. And, uh, you know, if we, if we start rethinking what the street could be, I think we could get vastly better throughput with vastly, uh, um, you know, fewer cars, but, but maybe more vehicles overall, but fewer cars mm -hmm. as, as a whole. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we should be, uh, you know, getting rid of parking in the sense of, you know, the thing that would get me caned off of the <laughs> radio show. And, but, because what I'm <laughs> suggesting is that, I think we can get, you know, better mobility with fewer vehicles at a lower cost, moving more efficiently with less environmental waste, less, uh, you know, health and safety issues, uh, you know, and, and all dematerialized in a sense, you know, into an app-based solution, um, you know, helping people go where they want, when they want, uh, in a very simple fashion. And I, and I think that if we can deliver on that kind of a promise, People are not going to, you know, people will be like just happy to give give up their cars and their parking and everything because what they really want is just freedom of mobility. 
Yeah, that it's it's a really really interesting thought. And, and since I read that part of the article, like that's you know one of the parts that really stuck with me, and that I've been sort of churning <laughs> around in my head because it's it's just something that's different that people haven't really thought about. Um, and you know, it, it I, I think that's it's a really good way to conclude um, this podcast just because I, I think it 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 you know it's it's really interesting and and different and those are the kinds of solutions that i like thinking about and hearing about so um ezra thank you very much for for joining us um we're going to have you back again next week uh, we're going to be discussing something different but related um but uh thank you for everyone who's listening and uh we'll be back next week great well thank you for having me all right bye Young Johnny Steele has an Oldsmobile. He loves a dear little girl. She is the queen of his gas machine. She has his heart in a world. Now when they go for a spin, you know, she tries to learn the auto. Oh, he left.